Here we go. Now, we're on to still under God's we're under God's providence. This is the second half of this treatment of God's providence. And um, my screen in the you know I always look up here because what's packed there is projected on the screen behind, and that projector is gone this morning for some reason we don't understand. So I'm just working off notes, and I hope they're the same. But anyway, we'll get there. Here's the question. The question is, uh, what about God and evil? Does anybody need a handout now? Garth made a lot of handouts. I need one of these handouts. You all have a handout. Okay, it's a little bit different from last week, but it's basically the same. Okay, here's the question. How can bad things happen to good people? This is a best-selling book by this Rabbi Kushner. Is that his name? And... Um, uh, or uh, the question that uh, philosophers, what was Kushner's answer, that God isn't powerful enough to stop? There are pockets of the universe that are sort of beyond his control at the moment, and so that's where chaos reigns and bad things can happen. Okay, Sandy, is, there are pockets of the universe that are beyond God's control at the moment, that's where chaos reigns and bad things happen. doesn't make me very, com- very comfortable, actually. Because I don't know if I'm in one of those pockets. And oh, okay. Well, that's his idea. Okay. The other question is, how can there be evil in the world if there is a good God and God is all powerful? How can He allow evil in the world? This is a question that seriously troubles lots and lots of people, and it's a question that people wonder: Hey, can I believe in God? Because there's evil and suffering in the world, and so and so, this is a hard question that we come to deal with today. And I, and I think that the Bible's answer to this is a more satisfying answer, a more helpful answer than Rabbi Kushner's answer, or people who say God isn't powerful enough to stop things, or there isn't any God, okay? Or he's not all good, yeah, which is really frightening. Yeah, or say there's no God, that's frightening. Or there's evil in the world that's out of God's control, that's really frightening. How do you know how much will be? How much more will be? Well, I think the Bible has a different view. But I have to say, when we get into this question of God and evil, we're talking about a question that I don't think we can get a final answer to. I mean, in, in a way, it's like when we talked about the doctrine of the Trinity. How can God be one being and three persons and each person whole of the being of God? Ultimately, I don't know. I want to affirm that the Bible says God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I want to affirm that the Bible says that God is one. And I can try and think about ways to put them together, even though, and I, and I want to speak everything the Bible says, even though ultimately I may not be able to figure it all out. Okay? And I think there's something like that that we're going to have to do here about God's sovereign control over the universe, and God is a good God and he doesn't do evil. But there is evil that I'm going to say, ultimately, he uses for his good purposes. Ultimately. Okay? In ways that we'll see if we can understand. So let's go forward with this now. Um, This is the definition we started off with. This is first, now next five minutes is going to be review of the previous sessions. The definition I gave for God's providence is that God is continually involved with all created things in the way that he keeps them existing and maintaining the properties with which he created them. So this podium is still stable and firm and hard because God made wood 
to act this way and preserves wood so it continues to act that way and it's reliable and predictable. I can depend on it. That's preservation. And then two, cooperates with created things in every action, directing their distinctive properties to cause them to act as they do. That's the question of how can God work with water to keep it being water, clouds to keep them forming raindrops, grass to keep it growing as grass. We talked about all that, but he does. And we can fully explain how clouds form water and make rain in a laboratory, but the Bible says that God does it. So in some sense, both are true. And then he directs them to fulfill his purposes. That's government, and that, that's just the last thing, and that just come to that at the end today. So now there are different viewpoints from the biblical viewpoint. The biblical viewpoint is different from deism. It says God made the world, but he doesn't have anything to do anymore. He just wound it up and let it go. Or pantheism that says God is the universe. Doesn't keep God separate from the universe. Different from that. Different from chance. The things that just happen by luck or something like that. They're random. And it's different from fatalism. What I do doesn't make any difference. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible's view is providence as opposed to these things. All right. Preservation. He keeps all created things existing and maintaining the properties with which he created them. Hebrews 1.3 he upholds the universe by his word of power. He upholds everything. In him, all things hold together. We talked about that last week. Concurrence, uh, he cooperates with created things and directs their properties to cause them to act as they do. Ephesians 1.11, he works all things, everything, according to the counsel of his will. And uh, he makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth. He makes the lightning for the rain. He causes the grass to grow and plants. He makes his sun rise. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. Here's an active view of God's involvement in causing the events of the physical universe. And snow, wind, rain, clouds, grass, sun, they don't, the Bible doesn't hesitate to say that God makes all this happen. We talked about that last week. Then, seemingly random or chance events, the lot or the dice or something like that. It's, 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 it's decisions from the Lord. And so God works through the distinctive properties of these things Events are fully caused by God and fully caused by the creature as well, in some sense. In the affairs of nations, he makes them great, and he destroys them. He rules over the nations. Uh, and so God rules over those things, and then over all aspects of our lives. We are to pray to him for our daily bread. Philippians 4, my God will supply every need of yours. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. All our days are determined. They're planned out all, the, all aspects of our lives planned out and determined by God. The Bible is really extensive in how many things it will put under that category. <clears throat> so <clears throat> whether it's the inanimate creation or an animals or, <clears throat> or random or chance events or the, events or the affairs of nations or our lives. And so now at this point I said we have to be careful to guard against misunderstanding. We should not, and see people can read this, oh, God is controlling all of this, and they think, what I do doesn't matter. That's the mistake to avoid. The Bible, can you really think of anything in the Bible that would say that? No, it's choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Turn, turn, why will you perish, O house of Israel? I have no del delight in the death of the wicked, says the Lord. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come. The Bible hundreds of times appeals to our decisions, our choices, our, our volition with the understanding that what we choose and what we do makes a difference. 
So we should not deny the reality of our choices and our actions. We really do cause events to happen. We really do have choices, and those are real choices, bring real results, and God holds us responsible for our choices. And those choices have real and eternal results. The Bible affirms that many, many times. You say, well, wait a minute, how can you say that God planned everything? How does that all fit together? I don't know. <laughs> I want to affirm what the Bible affirms and teach what the Bible teaches. And I can get some hint at understanding how it fits together. But I don't want to deny these things when we make a mistake. But how can the reality of our choices be put together with a strong view of God's providence, which I hold? I don't think we can fully resolve this in this life, but we should continue to affirm all that Scripture teaches. And we talked about Shakespeare's play, uh, Macbeth, who killed King Duncan? In the play, Macbeth kills King Duncan. All right? But at another level, Shakespeare wrote the play. And, and so, wait a minute, it's a different way of looking at things. It's an author uh, planning all this. But in the play, Macbeth kills him, he's responsible, etc. So now I realize within the play, Macbeth killed King Duncan, but at some level, William Shakespeare caused Duncan's death. And uh, so that was somewhat of an analogy, and it, it may not be perfect, but it helps us say there's different level of dealing with things here. All right, now here we come to the new material starting right here for today. What about evil? Well, in talking about this really difficult topic that's capable of misunderstanding, I think we have to be careful to be faithful to Scripture, not say more or less than what the Bible says, and avoid misunderstandings and realize that there is mystery here that we cannot understand. But having said that, now we go and look at some passages that have to do with God and evil. You have, for instance, the story of Joseph being sold into slavery in Egypt. His brothers throw him into a pit, take his coat of many colors. They think they're going to leave him for dead. And then they take him out and sell him to these Egyptian traders instead. They, they send him off into slavery in Egypt. And that was an evil deed. But then Joseph goes to Egypt and he gets promoted to being second in charge of the kingdom. And then the Israelites have famine and he, they come and uh, because Joseph has this authority in the kingdom and as God has shown him what's going to happen, he's able to work to preserve the people of Israel because he has saved food for them. And now he looks back on that and he says to his brothers, don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. God sent me? Whoa, I thought the evil brothers dragged him off into slavery. But he can look back on that kidnapping and selling him into bondage and say, God did it. And he says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? I remember one time there was some conflict between me and someone else. It goes back many years now. And I called a wise pastor friend in another city. And I said, you know, I'm really troubled by this. I don't know what to do about this, but I'm, I really feel hurt by this. And you know what he said? He said, you know, I think this is a Genesis 50-20 situation. I think God means this for good, even though I didn't see right then how good could come out. Looking back, oh, yes, I see a whole bunch of good that came out of it. Um, but I didn't know then. Has that ever happened to you? Where someone has done wrong to you, harmed you? And it hurt. 
It was, it was really troubling. But then you look back after the course of years and you see that God had a plan in it that you didn't understand, whether to strengthen your faith or to move you from a situation to a new situation or bring you to a new level of trust in him or whatever. Um, and that takes faith to be able to say that. But it is an, it's, it's different from Rabbi Kushner saying, hey, there's stuff out of God's control. It's just chaos. Joseph isn't, the Bible isn't saying that. That God had a good plan in it. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles I've put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Why? Because God had a plan to show his power greater than the greatest king on the earth at that time, the greatest power in the earth. He was going to triumph over Pharaoh and all his, all his soldiers for God's glory and for, you know, show his people his goodness. Romans 9, the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. Oh my goodness. It's just there. It's just there in scripture. Does the Bible also say that Pharaoh hardened his own heart? Yes, it does, several times. And so you've got a hidden, secret, behind-the-scenes way God planning this would come about. And then you have Pharaoh choosing himself to harden his heart and rebel against God in spite of all the miracles, in spite of the fact that he shouldn't have done this. So, so both things are happening. Psalm 105.25, he turned their hearts to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. Joshua 11.20, the Canaanite cities, it was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle in order that they should be devoted to destruction. What do I do about that verse? It's just there in Scripture. Does that make me think God is evil? No, I don't dare ever think that. Is there mystery here? Yes, there is. But, but there are verses that talk this way. Job 1. Naked came. Job, he learns about the death of his... Wait a minute. How many sons and how many daughters? Seven sons and three daughters? Or seven daughters? And, what is it? Seven sons and three daughters. Okay, see, you think you know something, and then you stand up in front of all these people, and then you think, oh, no, do I know that for sure or not? <clears throat> it's a senior moment. Thank you. That's just what I needed to hear. <laughs> okay. But an unbelievable tragedy that Satan is testing Job, and he learns about his, all his sons and daughters, being, being killed by the Chaldeans who came in a raid. And Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell around and worshipped. Didn't shake his fist at God and say, God, you must be evil to do this. He didn't say, I don't believe in God anymore. He fell on the ground 
and worshipped. Verse 20, Job 1.20. And then he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then the very next sentence says, In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Absolutely remarkable. And I think it's put here in Scripture as a help to us to say, have any of you lost seven sons or three daughters? Even with that kind of a trial and losing all your goods and your flocks and everything, even with that kind of a trial, it is possible not to say, God, you did wrong. That's Job's temptation. He's, you know, his, even his wife says, curse God and die. But he won't do it. And what a remarkable testimony that he still has faith in God in spite of that unbelievable tragedy. Different from Rabbi Kushner, again. Different from an atheist saying there must not be any God. Different from saying God isn't good. Saying the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Now I I can't read that verse anymore for the rest of my life without just remembering our son Alexander and his wife Rachel and just July 9th a year ago when they had been three months and she was instilled in an auto accident driving by herself. And and uh, I called John Piper, pastor in Minneapolis, immediately asked if he'd go to meet Alexander at the annex to the hospital where they'd taken Rachel's body. And John reported to us afterward that Alexander, when he went to see his wife's body there in the mortuary, quoted this verse and prayed a long prayer of thankfulness to God for Rachel, saying, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's really hard. But it is better than any other solution. Because it is saying that even in the midst of great hardship, it's all under the umbrella of God's providence. Is that making sense? And that's what gives us comfort. And Alexander has said to us in the year and a quarter since then or so, year and a half, he said, it's a, it's, a, it's a knowledge of God's providence that's gotten me through. We went up to Minneapolis, St. Paul, the next day. And over the next few days, some, several of you in the class were there helping us, coming alongside us. We're so thankful. But Elliot, our oldest son, and I went to the police yard where the car was that Rachel had been riding in just to get the things out of the car and 
we didn't want Alexander to go and he didn't want to go. I got there, and and you've got to understand, Rachel just she just loved Jesus. She's just a, a deep, deep, strong Christian, and I think that's what Alexander loved most about her was her love for Jesus. And we got there and walked into this police garage where they were still kind of taking measurements and collecting evidence to reconstruct the accident. And I looked at the car on the driver's side where the pickup had broadsided her and just completely collapsed inside that car. And I'm, I'm not sure why, but the, the first thing that came to my mind when I saw that car was, Lord, you took her. Lord, you took her. Just that. She was in heaven. Now, I, you see, now it's, it's over a year past that, and I haven't been sad about it for a while, but I start talking about it again. I feel the sadness again. Sadness for my son, sadness because we miss Rachel. But God had a plan in that, that, that we only now, in a tiny, tiny way, understand. But we trust him. So this doctrine of God's providence is hard, but it's good. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amos 3.6, does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? Amazing. I form light and I create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I'm the Lord who does all these things. Isaiah 45.7. The other one was Amos 3.6. Then Lamentations 3.38. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Or with unbelievers who are opposing Paul and his, and his evangelistic teaching and keeping people, opposing the gospel. 2 Thessalonians 11 to 12, Therefore God sends them a strong delusion, so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth. And see, but here he puts it with their blame. They did not believe the truth, but they had pleasure in unrighteousness. These things can be put together. Stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, 1 Peter 2, 8, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Well, there are two observations that I want to make on these verses. First, Scripture nowhere shows God as directly doing anything evil. And so that, that's a protection for us to keep us from thinking something wrong. The Bible never shows God as doing anything directly evil, but rather, and this is my attempt at phrasing this in a summary of those verses, ordaining that evil deeds come about through the willing actions of moral creatures. He ordained that Joseph would be sold into slavery in Egypt through the willing actions of Joseph's evil brothers who did wrong and are to be blamed for it. He ordained that, the, that Pharaoh would oppress the children of Israel. It was their choice, and they are held responsible for it, but God ordained somehow that he would bring it about for his good purpose. 
The Bible never blames God for evil. So here's where I want to keep us from mistakes. The Bible never says that God does evil. Ever, ever, ever. He doesn't do evil. And it never says that God is to be blamed for evil. That was Job's temptation. Curse God and die. Say that God is evil. And the Bible never blames God for evil or says, God, it's your fault that people did this. And never shows God is taking pleasure in evil, and neither should we. I think, I think God's heart grieves over the tragedies that happened to Job or that happened to Joseph. And there was a sorrow in God's heart, yet he knew he had a greater purpose in it. And Scripture never excuses human beings for the wrong that they do, and neither should we. Some further analysis of verses relating to God and evil. It seems to me then that God uses all things to fulfill his purposes and even uses evil for his glory and for our good. And that's the basis behind Romans 8.28. We know that all things, that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And that, and that's, I think, I'm sure that's my mother's favorite verse in the whole Bible. In all sorts of different circumstances in life, she has this confidence that God will work things together for good. And I grew up with that from tiny, from very young childhood. I grew up knowing that that was her belief and, and my dad's belief, that, that, uh, that there's this confidence that no matter what happens, it works together for good because God is in control ultimately. You meant it against me for evil, but God meant it for good. So he uses evil for his glory and for our good. It works together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And even, even Proverbs 16, for the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Nevertheless, God never does evil. I'm coming back to this again, and he's never to be blamed for evil. In Scripture, God is always removed from actually doing evil. And here we get some teachings of Jesus to this regard. For instance, he says, the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. That is, he's going to be crucified. It's been determined. But who gets the blame? The evil human beings who do wrong. He goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. That's Judas. So Judas is held responsible. Matthew 18:7. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come. But woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. So you get these two things together. God has ordained that this would happen, but the blame is put on the creatures who willingly choose evil. You say, wait a minute, how can that be fair? And Paul's going to address that in just a minute. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, so we're not to blame God. God can't be tempted with evil. He himself tempts no one. And so God doesn't do evil, and he doesn't even tempt people to do evil. He somehow ordains, ordains plans that evil will come about, but not through his work, through the evil deeds of demons and human beings who choose evil. He himself tempts no one. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So if you're tempted and you give in, it's your fault. No excuse. Can't say, oh, God made me do it. God rightfully blames and judges moral creatures for the evil they do. And here's where the blame is. This is one of many, many hundreds of passages. 
These have chosen their own ways, and their soul delights in their abominations. I will also choose harsh treatment for them. I will bring their fears upon them, because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen, but they did what was evil in my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. People think about what they're going to do, then they do it. They choose it. And God says, I'm holding you responsible for what you choose. God made, Ecclesiastes 7.29, God made man upright, but they have sought out, sought out many schemes. God made man and woman, Adam and Eve, good, but they had many devices to turn away. And so here now, people say, well, if God planned it, how can he hold us responsible? And Paul faces this head on. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? Who can resist his will? If God planned that Pharaoh would oppress the children of Israel and not let them go and keep them in harsh slavery? If God planned that, well then, how can he blame Pharaoh? Paul says, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? And what does Paul say? Let me give you a three-hour philosophical lecture. Discussing how this can come about. Doesn't say that. He says, Who are you, a man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded? Say to its molder, Why have you made me thus? I think Paul is saying, when we start asking that question, we've come to the boundary of our understanding, and we're not going to get an answer. You just have to say, It's God's word. And he is God. And we'll figure it out. But we want to say what the Bible says and believe it and rest in it. I want to say this also because, and I'm just trying to guard against misunderstandings which come up so easily. Evil is real, not an illusion. And we should never do evil for it will always harm us and others. You see, there's a temptation. Oh, God uses evil for good. Well, maybe I'll do some evil and maybe some good will come out. Don't ever do that. See, that's, 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 that's a mistake because that's 100% of the Bible is against that. Okay? We should never do evil. It will always harm us. We're to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I think from evil happening to us and from us doing evil. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, James 5, 19 to 20, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sin. Bring back a sinner from his wandering. 1 Peter 2, 11, abstain from the passions of the flesh, sinful desires of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Abstain from them, don't, do, don't give in to them. And Paul apparently has heard that some people are distorting his preaching of the gospel. And so in the discussion here, in Romans 3, he says, oh, what about this and what about this, and why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. Paul says, don't ever say that. If you say that, you're misrepresenting my gospel. You're slandering the gospel. You're not speaking truthfully about God. So how can I say that somehow God ordains that evil will come about for good purpose. But we can never do that. I think it's an area where 
there's some things that God can do that we can't do. And I read someone say, it's sort of like a, a wise parent who uses a very sharp knife but won't let his children touch the knife. And so God somehow ordains that he'll bring, use evil to bring about his good purposes, but he will never let us do it, and we're always to be blamed for that. So we're never to do evil. And I think, this, Sandy, I'm just thinking of you and people in counseling. When people have suffered great evil, we are never to minimize that, but to sorrow and grieve with them and to recognize it as evil and call it evil and say that was wrong, that was evil. Uh, and, uh, and yes, I think we can put it in the context of saying, ultimately, let's trust God that he will cause all things to work together for good. But, but in looking at the thing in itself, it's just evil. Yeah, it's harmful. In spite of the foregoing statements, we have to come to the point where we confess that we do not understand how it is that God can somehow ordain that we carry out evil deeds and yet hold accountable for them and not be blamed himself. That's where I don't understand. I don't. Okay. Well, then some will say, are we free? Do we have free will? Scripture nowhere says that we are free in this sense of being outside of God's control. And that's what I think people mean by free sometimes. And so I'm really careful about that word. But we are free in another sense, in the greatest sense that any creature of God could be free. We make willing choices, choices that have real effects. Uh, I have choices of what I'm going to do this afternoon or tomorrow morning. And those choices have, a, have consequences in the lives of the people I know, my family, my students, etc., Margaret. And so I just think it's very, very important, day by day, moment by moment, that I make choices that are following the leading of the Holy Spirit and being obedient to God's word. That's really important. I don't ever want to say that it doesn't matter. <clears throat> I know that God does use evil for purposes in the world, but I don't want to be the person through whom that evil comes. Okay? So, I never want to be in that position. Then there's a third aspect of providence. This is kind of P.S. at the end. There's government, that God governs all things in order they may accomplish his purposes. So he's established his throne in the heavens, Psalm 103:19. His kingdom rules over all. <clears throat> Uh, Daniel 4.35, he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? That is God's bringing about his purposes and his results. From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So all things ultimately are going to work out for God's glory, even including the fact that he sold Joseph into Egypt he caused, or he ordained that Joseph's brothers would sell him into Egypt, into slavery, but then he brought his goodness out of that, or even that he punished and triumphed over him. It all works to God's glory in the end. He works all things according to the counsel of his will, and his purpose is that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And again, we know that all things are going to work together for good for those who are called who love God and are called according to his purpose. Okay. Yep. Uh, 
Okay. Okay. Good. Okay. Oh, good. Oh, good. Oh, good. Okay. Great comfort to know that whatever it is is being used for good purposes. Norma, thank you. Norma's saying Romans eight twenty eight. She reads with verse twenty nine. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And so you're connecting that with God's purpose in making us into the image of his Son. And that is what he does, and, and it is through hardship sometimes that he brings that about, uh, that we are more conformed to Christ's image. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Okay, I'm just about at the end, and then I want to talk. There's something called the decrees of God, and that's just a word that is used for the eternal plans of God before the foundation of the world, whereby he determined to bring about everything that happened, including the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. And <clears throat> now, <clears throat> I haven't brought this up yet, but this is probably the central example of evil being used for good in the whole Bible, and that is the crucifixion of Christ. And evil, a tremendously evil deed because Jesus had done no wrong. He didn't deserve death. But... Peter, speaking on the day of Pentecost, can say, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So there's God's plan. But then what does he say? You, he's pointing to the people. You, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. There's, the, there's God's plan, and here's who did wrong and is to be blamed. And here's God's plan to choose us in him before the foundation of the world. In this we rejoice. He chose us that we should be holy and blameless before him. There are good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, the things that he wants us to do in obedience to him. Okay, I'm just about at the end. Um, the importance of our... Where am I on my outline? <laughs> where am I? E, the importance of our human actions. We're still responsible... I've talked about that. Our actions have real results. Prayer is one kind of action that has definite results. In conclusion, we must act. Don't be afraid, but trust in God. Be thankful for good things that happen. And there is no such thing as luck or chance. I get, and so Last week I said, I sometimes use the word luck, but I try to avoid using the word luck, honestly, because I think it's misunderstood, and I, I spoke carelessly there. Okay, thanks. So I tell you what, I'm running out of time for you to interact on this. So uh, I want to just stop now. We've got about 15 minutes left and see what you want to say. And could somebody bring, I forgot my bottle of water and my throat's all dry. Could somebody get me a, a glass of, a paper cup of water or coffee or something? Please, thanks. Todd, okay, Todd's on it. Oh, brand new bottle? Brand new. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. More free water <laughs> what? More free water. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Work switch God prepared before. Okay. So, uh, okay. Look, 
these are hard passages. I, am, I don't want to minimize this at all. It's sobering. Um, it's, it's, in a way, it's comforting at a deep level, but it's difficult in another level. And I understand that. And I, and I, I, just, I hope I'm representing these passages fairly. Okay. And I, I, I didn't get to it, and I, but point G, there is another viewpoint that says there's just evil in the world that God didn't want, didn't plan. Um, but it's not the viewpoint that I take. So, okay. You want to interact on this at all? I left time here. So, Phil. Here we go. Here's a mic. If I pray pray specifically for something uh, and it doesn't come about, or or better yet, if I pray for something specifically, the final action that takes place, how am I to interpret that my prayer did change uh, or did have results that might have differed? Or how am I to conclude that my prayer wasn't, uh, uh, you know, answered the way I wanted it answered? Yeah. If, if in fact, prayer, you know, is a specific kind of action that has definite results. When it doesn't go my way, how do I know that it was God's providence yeah. or, or I could yeah. have even changed that? Well, God doesn't always say yes. Right. Oh, so... Sometimes we pray and we don't pray, we don't ask for the right thing. And, you know, we could all give lists of prayers we're glad that didn't get answered. Uh, um, so I don't mean by that to say that it always brings the results that we ask for. But I do mean to say that it often does. And we'll get into that when I talk about prayer in a couple of weeks. So now <clears throat> I've got to think of an example here of praying for something. Um, 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 uh, let's see. Uh, well, okay. Scottsdale Bible Church. <clears throat> so we're praying for the right new senior pastor. <laughs> there he is. Okay. Okay. Now, God up here, overseeing all history, and and he looks forward to 2007 and says, I'm going to get a person A as, I don't know who it is, person A is the senior pastor. Now, back here... Phil is praying, and Ruth is praying, and Wayne is praying, and Norma is praying, and there are lots of people all praying. Now, what I think God planned before the foundation of the world is not just pow on... Uh, August 
3rd, 2007, we get a new senior pastor, just now. But I think that God planned the whole sequence of events leading up to 25 years of Daryl preaching, giving us a sense of what kind of pastor we want, what kind of preaching we want, selection search committee, search committee sending out all the resumes, that God has planned all these things, and, and Phil's prayer, and Ruth's prayer, and Norma's prayer, and my prayer. God has planned all these things so that these would be things that God would answer and then give us a new senior pastor. So it isn't just the he plans the event, he plans or ordains the things that he uses to bring about the event, too. Am, am I making sense with that? So you say, well, could God have given us a senior pastor without anybody praying? He doesn't. That's not the way he makes the world work. Was the answer to prayer okay. in 09 not affected by my prayer, or was when it? Okay, say it again, it, Phil, for, with the mic. So, <laughs> so if in, so if we get a new pastor in 2007, and, yeah. he's, and he's gone in 2009, yeah. and we get a new pastor in 2009, that's marvelous. Yeah. My prayer to bring us the right pastor in 07 could have been answered in 2009. Yeah. Yeah. Because sometimes didn't we didn't get happen in 07. Right. Sometimes we get exactly what we ask for, and sometimes we get. Partial, but it's modified in a better way than we know. Okay, a good question. Now, we're, okay, and we're going to get back to this in a couple weeks. When we pray, shouldn't we believe in our heart that our prayer is going to be answered? <clears throat> if I'm praying according to the will of God, which is according to Scripture, but also I think there's a guidance that God gives us into how we are to pray. And... I'll just say it real quick about, I don't think I can make myself believe that it's going to be answered. I think that's something God gives me. Okay, I'm going to come back to that in two weeks. <laughs> Hold on. Okay, yeah, okay, John. Scary verses to me in Yeah. Are the ones that talk about God's hardening, the Pharaoh's heart? Yeah. And the ones you've quoted before. And then even go all the way through to Revelations. There's verses in there that talk about people that still don't believe and God hardens their heart. Yeah. Which means to me he's not going to give those people a chance because he's hardened their heart already. Yeah. Is that it, – it just bothers me. But I also – my sense is that he knows everything. He knows what those people are going to do. Yeah. And it's like prejudging them is the only way I can make that mm -hmm. fit in my mind. Mm -hmm. What would your thoughts be? Mm -hmm. I would just go back to what I said, that God holds people responsible for their wrong choices. They do make willing choices. They think, what should I do? And they, 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 they choice, choose what they will to choose. Um, Ultimately, 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 the, the final, I think the final reason they, they don't choose is ultimately God's plan. Both things happen, but I think it's ultimately that the final answer for why some people are saved and some aren't ultimately is God's decision. 
And that means for you or for me that there was nothing in me that merited God choosing me. But he just decided to choose me. Now, in a way, John, I haven't gotten into this because I've left aside out of this discussion the question of salvation and peace saved and lost. And it's I, I put it in the doctrine of salvation. This is chapter 16. I put that in chapter 32 on question of election and predestination. And that, I mean, this is hard. That is also hard. And I just, I gave you in a nutshell, I think ultimately it's all still in God's hands. Yet I want to affirm the reality of our choices and what we do matters and what we pray matters. And we don't know regarding any individual in the world what, what God's plan is for them. And so... I had a friend, a professor of mine at seminary, prayed for his daughter when I was in seminary 35 years ago. 30 years, 35 years ago. She wasn't a Christian. She'd married a Jewish man. Now Edmund Clowney, this professor, died at age 87 just two years ago. And then after he died, you know what I found out from another daughter of his? That his 61-year-old daughter, after he died, came to faith, and she's a strong believer now. He, all those years he'd been praying for her and others have been praying for her. He had no idea. He went to heaven knowing. Now I suppose he knows because he's looking on and he's happy. So we don't know. Um, yeah. I'm, that's hard. Okay. Eugene. Uh, just a couple of thoughts I have on prayers. Number one, we don't always know what is best and what we should pray for and and uh, the Holy Spirit will help us in our prayers. Yeah, I agree. And so we need to, in our petitions, re keep that in mind. And yeah. often I pray for not necessarily a specific outcome, yeah. but the outcome of what's best yeah. for his will. Yeah, <clears throat> but, but I also can say to God, Lord, this is what seems best to me, and this is what I'm asking for. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. so, okay. All right. I'm just okay. saying sometimes. Yeah. Look, I've stayed here about over here. Anybody? Way in the back, Diane. Um, if evil is a reality, I didn't create it, Genesis 2. What is it? Where did it come from? I think ultimately God ordained that it would come about, but he didn't do evil. He ordained that it would come about through the willing choice of Satan, who was a created being, and then other demons who followed him. And then Satan tempting Adam and Eve. And they're following him. They're choosing. So I think, and, and I'm, I'm, I don't think that evil came into the world in spite of that God didn't want it to happen and was trying to resist it, but it was beyond his control. See, I, I, don't, I don't hold that. So I think God, or, I think before the foundation of the world, God knew that Jesus would die for our sins and planned that. And that means he planned that there would be sin. And that means he ordained that there would be sin in the world for some reason. But that's a mystery. This thing of God and evil, is that's the mystery. But he brings it about through the willing choices of moral creatures, demons, angels, demons, human beings. So I don't know that I can do any more than that. Okay, Pammy's up here. <laughs> I knew this. Yeah, go ahead. Put it on the microphone. I knew this question was going to come up. 
Wayne, can you tell me how many points of Calvinism do you adhere to? <laughs> how many points of Calvinism do I adhere to? Before I answer the question, I've got to say, if I would ask you to take out a blank sheet of paper and define Calvinism, I would get 100 different definitions in this class. Some people think it means capitalism. <laughs> and, and, and some people think it means our choices don't matter, and we don't have any freedom, and we don't have any will. And so it just, I mean, that thing's all over the board. So there is a theological tradition stemming from John Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion, 1536, and then revised up, up until 1559. I do adhere to that theological tradition in general. I have a different view on baptism than he had. I have a different view on government, civil government than he had, etc. Okay. So, but there's a controversy historically in the church. And I, I so I uh, just like, I, I'm uneasy with labels that put me in a box that, I, that people think of that is different from what I'm teaching. So I'm trying to go through the verses and teach this. Okay. But it's still a fair question. So, Okay, well, now I can say more. It's probably stupid to say more, but I will. I swear. <laughs> um, uh, if, you, if people understand what was taught by John Calvin, not distortions and misrepresentations, then I would say I'm a smiling, happy, evangelistic Calvinist. A smiling, evangelistic, five-point Calvinist. But if you put smiling, happy, evangelistic, you, you get away from some of the distortions, okay? But you've known me for years. I think you're wonderful. Yeah, no, no, no. And, and so we, we can get into a discussion about that later, but, that, but it has to do with a view of God's sovereignty that helps me deal with difficulties in life and help and gives me peace about the future of our nation, even though I'm praying earnestly about it, see? But God's in control. He'll bring good, and he's going to bring good for his people out of all things that happen. Okay. Way back here, Tom. Yeah, on a couple of minutes ago, you showed a slide that says uh, we really do cause events to happen. Yep. Uh, page 321 of your systematic theology, the most difficult page for me yep. in the entire book, yep. states it seems better to affirm that God causes all things that happen. Yep. And I, the word cause is bothering me. It, yeah. There has to be two different words there. It, no, it's just cause in a different sense. It's this Shakespeare and Macbeth deal. It's, it's causing in the fact of an overall plan that ordains things that will happen versus causing and being the immediate cause of something that happens. So it's, it's using the word in a different sense. And Tom, I, I mean, I, in a way, I'm, I, I guess I wrote that. I'm, I'm willing to affirm the language, but it's, I, I'd rather use this word ordains or plans that it would happen through the willing choices of individuals. Just in the same way, or similar way, to clouds and humidity and atmospheric pressure cause rain to fall, but God causes the rain to fall. So, okay, different sense. It's hard. And I'm not saying I've got all the answers, but... But ultimately, I guess what I want to leave you with is a trust in God that he is good and that he will do good for his people. And on the last day, we'll look back and it'll seem fair to us. It will all seem fair. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. 
Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Every mouth will be stopped. No one will be able to say it's unfair. He's fair. He's just. He's good. He's wise. And we can trust him. Okay. Well, I got a note last time. Someone saying, why am I skipping the hymn all the time? So here, now, let me ask you, next week, you've got a choice. Should I come back to this and talk about it and do some more, some more questions? Or should I go on to the question of miracles? So how many stay on Providence another week? How many go on to miracles? I guess Providence wins here. What I will do, as ordained by God before the foundation of the world, <laughs> for our good and his glory and our joy, what I will do is I'll pick up at E, importance in actions, and go on to F and G. Think about an Arminian view, which I think I'm too responsible. I should give representation to this view. There's an alternative, and it's kind of the instinctive view that most people have, uh, or many people have. And then my response to that and say, look, that's a responsible position, too. Other people hold it, and if you want to hold it, then you want to hold it. That's all. Okay, let's sing this. Um, let's sing this. Um, all people, all people that on earth do dwell. Okay, let's stand up. Let's start. Okay. O Lord our God, the great and glorious and mighty and all-powerful God, we give you thanks. We bow before you. Lord, your thoughts are higher than our thoughts and your ways higher than our ways, as the heavens are higher than the earth. Lord, you've given us some insight into your ways. You've told us truth in your word. We bow before it. We humble our hearts before you, Lord. We give you thanks. And Lord, we once again recommit our lives into your hands, asking that you would do good and lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week.